Real Fun DC. Hospitality and a little bit of sass are always on the menu. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Hey everyone and welcome to Industry Night with me, Nikki Nellis, the show that takes you on a deep dive into the happenings of the hospitality industry. Now sometimes there's a focus on culture and sometimes there's a focus on travel trends and sometimes there's a focus on just passion projects, but it does all come back to the industry. So as I discussed last week, I did take a little hiatus a few weeks back and after a long delay, which was COVID, David and I finally made it to Sardinia for our 25th anniversary. It's actually our 26th because when we planned the trip, it was our 25th, but anyway, whatever, we still got to go. Uh, and I really want to be clear that the time to go to Sardinia, if you are so able to do, is definitely September. Almost no tourists, especially from America, uh, and the waters are so warm. Um, now, last week I took you on a tour of the north, which was really fantastic. And this week I thought I'd just give you a little in on some of the things in the south. So on our drive down from the glorious Petra Segreta, um, our absolutely delicious concierge, Franco, he suggested we stop in his hometown of Santa Maria Navarese, which is this lovely little seaside village. It was midway to our final destination. We walked around town and we went up to the cliffs and had lunch at Sacadera. Um, there, not only did we look out on crystal clear waters um, and drank more Vermentino, uh, but we also had the Sardinian treat. And I have a feeling my guest later in the show is going to correct my pronunciation because my Italian accent is terrible. But we had the Sardinian treat. C-U-L-U-R-G-I-O-N-E-S. I can't pronounce it, but I'll tell you what it is. It is a doughy ravioli stuffed with mashed potatoes, pecorino, and mint. And it has a dollop of tomato sauce on top. And it is delicious. So I may not be able to pronounce it, but I can explain it. And you definitely want to eat it. Um, while down south, we stayed at the glorious La Villa uh, del Rey. It's a small luxury hotel of the world property. It's right on the ocean and totally different from the north, which is in the mountains. Down south, everything is about the view. So whether you're in the lobby, whether you're in your room, whether you're at one of the restaurants, whether you're just walking around, it's all about the view. You're looking at the sun, you're looking at the moon, you're looking at the ocean. It is not that bad but very different from the north where every day you sort of get up and travel and go to different beaches and visit different villages down south they kind of are like why would you go anywhere else why wouldn't you just stay here um that was a little hard for me i couldn't adapt to that initially so we, of course we did check out some other places uh we went to cagliari which is one of the bigger town uh, cities in Sard uh, Southern Sardinia. And um, we totally spent some time in the San Bendetto market, which was fantastic. We picked up lots of breads and lots of cheeses and I wanted to pick up all the seafood and all the meats that were there. We spent way more time there than was necessary, but it was really fabulous. Um, we also went to a terrific little town called Villa Mius, where we had what I consider to be one of the most perfect salads ever, um, and I've been making it on repeat. So sliced variety of tomatoes, slices of peaches, a huge mound of very fresh burrata, 
toss everything except the burrata with basil, olive oil, put the burrata in the middle and just drizzle with um, some balsamic glaze. And it is the perfect meal with some great, um, I love the Sardinian flatbread, which is panna casso, but um, also beautiful bread goes great with it as well. Our best meal while we were down there was at a restaurant called La Palme in Del Rey. Um, the servers entertained us by making a lobster flambe over bucatini. They did a table side. Um, it was just such a show and it was so great. So we really enjoyed our time down there. Um, and listen, we moved to Rome next. I'm going to save that for the next show. And since I've been home for a couple days, it's not like I'm sitting here just thinking about Italy. I've been out and about. So just I headed down to uh, Mike Graffiti's Albi. It's one of my favorites. And, you know, he is just killing it there. Um, totally another ball, out of the park meal. Advice, don't order the tasting menu. I know he would hate me saying that, but just get one of everything because it's all delicious. Um, I also popped into Janine Prime's Pan-Caribbean Place St. James that opened up over the summer on 14th Street. Pro tip, the pork pow buns, they are delicious. I had two orders and the rum cake. Now, I know a lot of people are like, rum cake, meh. I mean, I'm like rum cake, Matt. I'm not a rum cake person, but theirs is delicious. The cake is yummy. It is not too much rum. There is a house-made coconut ice cream. Totally a great way to end the meal. Now, I've heard from many of you um, that I've kind of gone radio silent on social media, and it's totally true. I unplugged on that trip, and I'm really struggling to plug back in. I just, <sighs> such great pictures too, an amazing video. I'm just, uh, I'm not back in yet, but... I'm working on it. So continue to follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And uh, you'll see all the highlights from today and of course, all my eating and drinking around the DC metro area. So on to today's show. The Capitol Jewish Museum is a new museum that's opening at 3rd and F Streets in the spring of 2023. Now, this secular organization is going to explore the intersection of the American Jewish experience here in D.C. Now, a lot of you may be thinking, another Jewish museum? And let me correct you on that. There is not a Jewish museum in D.C. There's the Holocaust Museum, and that is not a celebration of Judaism. That is a tomb of remembrance. So this museum is going to inspire connection across communities, and I'm so excited to talk about everything they're doing. Um, and with me today um, is Lisa Del Sesto. She's the museum educator, and she's also going to be talking about this Capital Jewish Food Festival. And with her, she brought a whole panel of people to talk about their involvement and all the fun things they're doing. So I've got good friend who I haven't seen in so long, Susan Barakas. She's a chef, she's a caterer, and she's a food writer, and she's very involved with the stage events at the festival. Um, also, I cannot wait to talk to Laura Newman. She's from City Blossoms. They are doing amazing work here and around the city, and they are part of the community partnerships with the museum. And then Peter Schechter, who I've never met, and I'm so looking forward to talking to, because I certainly know his restaurants, as do you. He's with Immigrant Foods, uh, a real Renaissance man who's got his fingers in lots of pots, and we're gonna dig into all of them. So uh, let's get to it, Lisa. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having us. Um, we're so excited to talk about the museum and the food festival. Well, so let's start with the beginning. I mean, as I mentioned in the intro, like a Jewish museum, like what's happening here? 
So DC is one of um one of the major cities that doesn't actually have a Jewish museum yet. So we're really excited to to join um, our colleagues at other Jewish museums around around the United States and, and the world for that matter. Mm -hmm. um, our museum itself tells a very local story and it tells that story of Jewish Washingtonians um, who lived in the capital city, which is the seat of government, um, which is has international affairs. and but also is a community and is a neighborhood. So we really trace that history and tell those stories. Um, and as you mentioned, we really invite our visitors to connect across families and diverse communities, reflect on the relevance of the past and the stories they'll learn in the museum to today, and then act on behalf of their values and communities um, as, as they leave the museum and, and go out into the world again. Well, so what will the museum be like? Can you give me sort of a general feeling of the museum, what the experience will be? Sure. So we're going to have um, several galleries. We're going to have um, What is Jewish Washington, which is kind of where visitors can get oriented and get a little bit of the timeline of Jewish Jewish life in D.C. and the, those experiences and you know, get the lay of the land. Jews lived in all four quadrants of DC. It wasn't like New York where there's that concentrated Lower East Side. Um, they really spread out and built communities all around. Um, we, the centerpiece of our museum, which we like to say is our biggest object, is the historic Addis Israel Synagogue, mm. um, which was dedicated in 1876 um, in the presence of President Grant. Um, and so that we've, um, We've brought that museum or brought that synagogue back to life. And that is going to have a multimedia experience where you're kind of feel like you're back in 1876 and hearing voices and stories um, from people who may have been there. And then we're going to head to our core gallery where we really explore that intersection of um, Jewish life and community in the capital city and track those stories and explore. Um, well, um, you know, living in this area, there is a rich history of uh, people of Jewish descent who, you know, grew up in DC or live in the environs. I'm sure it must be kind of hard to curate that because everybody's like, no, 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 my grandfather, he did this, or, you know, my grandmother, she did this, or my son, he did that. So how do you guys go about doing that? Um, so I, I don't want to overstep. I want to leave some things to my curators who will be at the, the you can swing by our welcome booth and talk right. to our couple of curators. But um, I will say one of the cool um, elements of our core gallery, we have um, a Jewish Washington map table. Hmm. Um, and it's a really neat interactive where you can like explore neighborhoods, but there's also going to be a way for people to add in their family shops, their family's businesses. Um, so you can really add yourself to the story in that way. Oh, um, I, I really love that. I think that's a really interesting way to engage with the community locally and nationally. You right. know, people come to visit the museum. All right, so the museum's not opening until the spring. Mm -hmm. If you guys are doing a festival, why get into the festival biz? I mean, I'm just curious. Uh, well, Nikki, at the beginning, you mentioned sometimes this is cultural, sometimes this is passion project. I will say this is a combination of both. It's very much a cultural exploration, but 
It's also really a passion project and I think a way for the museum before we actually physically open our doors to show the community what we're all about, what they're going to experience when we open and they come through those doors and and really highlight that mission of ours that is Connect, Reflect, Act. So the festival is really an outgrowth of the values and mission of the museum um, and a way to get, get in front of people and, um, and get them excited for when we open and give them, if you will pardon the pun, a taste of, of what the museum is going to be. Right. And so what can people, so I know I'm going to be talking to Susan about the programming, but mm -hmm. You know, doing a festival is is a pretty awesome task. So tell me just sort of what the flow of the festival is and what you're, you know, what people are going to be looking to experience. Sure. So um, it the festival itself is going to take front take place in front of the museum. So it's going to be on F Street between 2nd and 3rd Streets Northwest. Mm -hmm. um, so on F Street, you will find 20 restaurants, um, two of which are beer uh, one is a beer vendor, one is a wine vendor. Um, they're going to have tasting samples for people who are walking through. And when you purchase your ticket, you get X amount of tasting tickets to exchange okay. for a sample. Mm -hmm. And then most of our restaurants are going to have full size menu items um, for people to, once they wet their palate, to really dig into their favorite dishes. Um, and also on that street, you're going to find our community partner booths. So all of our community partners were really selected based on one of the other missions of the festival, which is to have that social justice, have that action angle. Um, and so we'll be exploring food insecurity and sustainability practices. And so our partners are really there to highlight that. Um, we're also excited because this festival um, intentionally coincides with the holiday of Sukkot. Mm -hmm. um, Sukkot starts the evening um, of that Sunday, so we're happening in the daytime, and then people can can leave and head to their Sukkot plans. Um, and we really love that overlap because, you know, Sukkot is really about welcoming the stranger, well, inviting people to share your sukkah, to share your, your dinner table. Um, and so the food festival, you know, it's our kind of spin on that in a community way to welcome Sukkot and those values. Um, and people who aren't familiar with Sukkot, can you just give a little 411? Yes, it is um, a fall harvest festival. And Susan, I might let you talk a little more about Sukkot because maybe you know a little bit more than me, but it is um, a seven day harvest, fall harvest festival. Um, and there's sukkahs that get built that there's a number of rules about how to build a proper sukkah. It's a temporary structure that is open on top. So you can you can see the stars and made um, from uh, natural materials. Right. And if you haven't been invited to one, you should get invited to one. I mean, I get invited to one every year, which I so adore. Um, and it's, a, it's such a nice tradition. It's mm -hmm. lovely that people still do that and build it and uh, invite people over to enjoy the the holiday. It's such a lovely thing. All right. I'm going to come back to you yeah. at the end because we'll give everybody the details on how they can get involved in everything. And I'm going to move over to Susan. Hey, Susan. Hello. It's been a while. I'm so glad you're here. How are you? I'm doing great and I'm delighted to be here. Thank you so much for having this panel and also for being part of the festival. We are just delighted to have you. Oh, well, I was thrilled to be asked. Okay, so, but let's talk a little bit about you because you and I go way back. Um, and in fact, like everybody involved with this 
festival, like Joe Nathan and uh, Varie Gutman, like everybody has been on my shows at some point in time where I've done work with or whatever. So it's like, it's the whole mishpuka, it sounds like. So tell me about what you're up to these days and uh, then we can get into like how you got roped into all this. Ah, okay. Uh, well, basically I'm writing and I'm cooking a lot, uh, catering for clients and um, doing a really lot of teaching in this area, but also um, kind of around the U.S. and even beyond that, uh, both. When you Zoom say you're teaching, are you doing like classes online? Like where, where are you teaching and how can people get in on your teaching? So I teach for organizations um, either privately or publicly, like the Nosher, mm -hmm. um, which is a wonderful online um, food kind of great website. So I teach for them. I teach for many synagogues. I go to events like Limud, which is a volunteer organized Jewish learning. I just was in Atlanta teaching for a weekend with their Limud. And so it's um, a combination now, which is so interesting, of online Zoom and also in person. And so I love, I, I think it's a silver lining from the pandemic that we can do classes on Zoom still that involve people from all over the world. I've done many classes, for example, for Lilith Magazine during COVID. Mm -hmm. And people literally from all over the world, and they start to build community online too. So that's really fun. So I've been doing that. And also I've launched a new project uh, mm -hmm. called Savor, a Sephardic music and food experience. And so this is actually... Um, it'll be released starting in January with an album by the uh, Ladino singer Sarah Aroeste. Mm -hmm. And it's 10 songs about food. So we have 10 of us chefs cooking a recipe to go with each song. And we've recorded videos. And we're going out now, Sarah and I and some of the chefs too, to do programs all over the world. And uh, including a cruise. I just have to get this in because we're just going to launch it this week. Okay. We're doing a cruise from Athens to Istanbul, food oh. and music. Oh my God, that sounds amazing. What a yeah. cool project. Good for you. Thanks. It's really fun. It sounds really, really fun. Now, are you Sephardic? Yes. Well, actually, I always say yes immediately. The truth is I'm a mixed. I'm half and half. Okay. Like so many of us in the U.S. Um, my father's uh, parents were from the Ottoman Empire and my mother's were from the pale, Russia. Um, okay. And I love all Jewish food equally, kind of equally, except. <laughs> I mean, Sephardic is, I mean, I'm not Sephardic, I'm Ashkenazi, but I mean, Sephardic food is better. It just, it is an Ashkenazi, but Ashkenazi gets the, I mean, in the, especially on the coasts of this country, you know, it's the Ashkenazi foods that people know more than the Sephardic foods. Right, well, that's all the numbers, you know, from immigration, that's how right. that happened. It used to be that, the, you know, the Sephardic world in, in Iberia was the center of the Jewish universe mm. um, through the Inquisition. And even afterwards, there were so many Sephardic Jews still that outnumbered the identified Ashkenazic Jews as that developed. But then when they came to the U.S., it was 2 million Ashkenazim and 40,000 Sephardim. Right, well, yeah. just for those who aren't, who don't know what it means to be Ashkenazi uh, or Sephardic, do you mind just giving us an explanation? Absolutely. So um, Ashkenazic is easy because it's basically Eastern European. 
Right. So German, Polish, Russian. Sephardic is kind of used for everyone that's not Ashkenazic. But the truth is that there's more than just Sephardic Jews who are not Ashkenazic. And that's like there's Mizrahi Jews from Persia and Maghrebi from North Africa, Morocco and all that. Um, they We all kind of get lumped into Sephardic. Um, when I refer to the cooking I do, I often say I do uh, Sephardic and other non-Ashkenazic. Mm-hmm. Well, because because I think Israel, so... Israel is not... Israel is everything. Israel is Israeli cuisine, which I know is already like a tempest in a teapot, having just been in Israel earlier this summer. But um, I mean, and I, you and I can go down a rabbit hole that has nothing to do with what we're talking about today, because I got to meet with the Ethiopian Jews in Israel. And oh, I learned, I, it was such an insane story. I learned so much. So we could we could talk about that another time. Okay. Um, so how did you take your Ashkenazi and your Sephardic and 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 join this festival and, and join what's happening with the Capitol Jewish Museum. Right. Well, um, I've been cooking since I was five. Mm-hmm. And just about 10 years ago, moved into uh, food as a profession. It's like my third act in life. Mm-hmm. And um, that was because I was the founding director of the Jewish Food Experience, as you know, because I was on your show many times yeah. with Jewish Food Experience. Mm-hmm. And um that was always fun. I do like, actually, I have to say, those Sunday mornings with the drinks in the studio. And the yeah, we still do the show, but we do. We now do it on Saturdays. But the, I mean, the show is in its 14th year. We still do it. And um, yeah, we're still doing drinks. Stop by the studio anytime. You're more than welcome. That's so much fun. Foodie and the Beast. It's a great show. Um, so what happened was that I brought to Jewish Food Experience, I felt it was really important that it represent the diversity of Jewish cuisines and cultures. And so um, I tried to build that into that program. Um, and then I kind of went out on my own and, and um, just long story short, new people who were involved in putting together this new museum. Mm-hmm. And I had worked with the Jewish Historical Society, which is kind of the root, I think, of the museum. Um, and I had worked with them on Jewish food experience. We had a kind of each week uh, or once a month, we had a Jewish artifact that was related to food from the museum that we featured. Mm -hmm. And so um, uh, just sort of started talking to people. Then someone I know, one of the curators, um, Jonathan Edelman talked to me about my story and would I be interested in, is there some object that could go into the museum exhibit that would have meaning Mm -hmm. to me and to my family and the food I cook. I parted with, I'm very proud that it's in the museum or will be, but I parted with the only mixer I have ever known up until I gave it up in 2021. What is it? A Hamilton Beach hand mixer from 1960. I love it. And I still had the box too. I don't know why I slipped that around the country all these years, but I did. We can get into it. We can get into your recording issues later. Susan. <laughs> I want to just, I'm thrilled that that's going to be there, but Go let's just quickly, because we have a couple minutes, talk about the festival and uh, what you did, because it's there's a whole bunch of programming. There's a lot of programming, and there was a committee that helped to gather all the various partners and um, kind of try to figure out what direction we should go in. And so I'm very, very happy. The main stage just talking about the diversity of Jewish cuisine. The main stage had the demo by me 
and a demo by Vera Gutman, who is Iraqi descent. Yeah, yeah I just love it, you know? And we're not, there's like, you know, the main stage is not going to have a bunch of, you know, bagels and locks and all that around. So I'm very happy to say, because so many people know that, that I think sometimes weighing the balance a little bit in the other direction is very good right now. Mm. Um, and so we have that. And of course, the discussion with Michael Twitty and um, Joe and Joe Nathan giving a, a welcome keynote, your involvement. We also have some of the community partners who will be doing presentations on the main stage. Um, again, to just re reiterate what uh, Lisa had said, there's a real commitment to the community and there's a commitment to issues around food justice and um, you know, distribution, food deserts, all those issues that are involved in that in DC. Well, Susan, so, on, that, on that note, I'm going to get, lead into Lauren. Go. If you'll stay with us at the end of the show, we'll give I'll give you a sec to tell people where they can find you on Instagram and all that kind of good stuff. Okay. Hey, Lauren. Lauren Newman is joining me. She is the Youth Entrepreneurship Cooperative Program Manager with City Blossoms. Uh, Lauren, I'm so excited to talk about what you're doing today. Let's talk about City Blossoms and the program and what you all are doing because it's so important. Sure. Yeah. And thanks for thanks for having us on on your podcast. Mm -hmm. So City Blossoms is an organization that is very near and dear to my heart because I am a DC native. Um, one of the few, <laughs> um, that have like come back. That's an old trope, Lauren. I gotta be honest. My husband is born and bred DC. I know so many people who are born and bred DC. Like, I yeah. think that's something that people used to say. I don't think it's true anymore, but anyway, go on. sorry, I digress. Go on. No, no, no. <laughs> um, but it's, it's an organization that I actually grew up going to their programming and so city blossoms. Um, our mission is to cultivate the well-being of our communities through creative kid-driven gardens. And their first garden in Columbia Heights at the Columbia Heights Youth Center was where I had my first introduction to what it means to grow food. Um, that's just an experience that kids who grew up in, in the city don't have a chance to um, learn about, don't have the chance to um get involved in the process and truly appreciate those um what goes into bringing food to our tables each and every day um so really what we we try to do in our garden spaces is um particularly welcome um students of all backgrounds but um black latino asian immigrant youth um and and just like inspire them to just like be in green space and um and learn about food in, in a deep way. And how do you go about doing that? Like how do you work within the community and are able to bring the kids to the garden or or inspire them that way? How do you how do you guys go about doing all that? Yeah. So City Blossoms, um, we started off with just the community green space model. Um, which is a garden that um, is in a neighborhood like the Gerard Street Garden that I started at or the Marion Street Garden in Shaw. Um, we now have five community green spaces um, and that is really just like open to children, teens, neighbors, um, 
senior citizens to just like engage in the space um, a couple of times a week for a few hours. Um, and then we just have like very um, freeform explorative programming that takes place in those in those spaces. So that's the community green spaces program. Um, we have the school garden partners program where we partner with predominantly elementary schools um, to help train teachers, um, administrators at those institutions to how to how to have garden based curriculum and, and incorporate that into their everyday learning, um, starting that with like um, elementary giving them like the foundation, helping them build that garden, giving them curriculum um, and that training so that then they can kind of take over um, after, after that training. And then we have our early growers program, which partners with early child care centers and is a similar model to the, to the school garden partners program um, where we provide that training and resources but this time like geared towards like younger, like uh, I would say like six months to three, four years old. But I think that's amazing because, <laughs> you know, a lot of kids in uh, poor neighborhoods who are in food deserts, who don't have, you know, the grocery stores may be in the wealthy areas because the, the uh, changing culture of DC uh, and the massive investment in real estate has sort of changed everything, but it doesn't mean just because there's a grocery store in one of the wards now, it doesn't mean it's accessible to everybody, right? You know, especially yeah. higher end grocery stores. So for younger children, you know, if you're getting them before they even hit, you know, kindergarten, they're seeing fresh vegetables or watching how it grows, like it becomes it becomes a part of their understanding. I think it's really hard for kids when they don't know where their food comes from to want it or want to eat it, you know, to they they have an appreciation for it. Right. And and that and I think another added layer to that is when we're introducing these like fresh fruits and vegetables to kids, mm -hmm. they then are so excited to introduce that to their parents, to their grandmothers, whoever is making food um, and incorporating those into their daily diets when they might not have access to that otherwise. Um, so yeah, just like work that is definitely a passion project for me. Mm -hmm. uh, our final program is the program that I manage, the Youth Entrepreneurship Cooperative Program, um, YEC for short, because that is such a mouthful. Um, <laughs> but essentially, it is our high school program. Um, we are connected with three high schools in DC, Eastern Senior High School, um, Cardoza Education Campus, and Banneker Academic High School. Mm -hmm. um, two of those high schools have um, gardens and greenhouses that the students manage and maintain, and then they cultivate a business utilizing those resources called Mighty Greens. Mm -hmm. um, so that that is pretty much in summary what we do at City Blossoms, um, and then we we try and like create uh, trainings and curriculum that can then be shared like not just within our city, but um, on a national scale as well. And I'm just sort of curious, do you create ambassadorships with the kids, like especially in the high school where they can either take it back to their community or go to elementary schools? Like, is there is there legs for it with the kids who are involved in your program? 
Yeah. So um, one, one key component of the City Blossoms model is pathways. So encouraging students, whether they start out at high school, um, how they can connect and like learn how to do um, environmental education for um, those younger people, their, their little siblings, um, how they can get involved. So how did you get involved with the Capital Jewish Museum? Yeah, that um, all credit is due to Lisa. Um, we work on a um, collaborative together called the Youth Engagement Collaborative, um, similarly also titled YEC. Um, and uh, she just like knew that City Blossoms did a lot of that um, food security, social justice um, work that's like rooted in sustainability in our city. Um, so that really drew us to want to participate um, because we, we really wanted to be a part of the conversations that were uplifting um, the issues of food insecurity um, that you know, impact the daily lives of the children and youth that we work with every day. And you will be at the festival, correct? You'll have a yes. booth there. So what, just very quickly, tell me like how people can uh, interact with you at the festival. Yeah, so me personally, I will not be at our booth, but um, our executive director, Rafael Woldia, um, he will be hosting an activity that will be fun for all ages. Um, it's an activity that we um, consider to be a staple at our community green spaces. It's called um, a mandala, mm -hmm. so making a nature mandala. Um, so really what we're trying to communicate is like, what are the benefits of just like explorative, like creativity? Um, so pinpointing things like self-expression, um, having that artistic and creative expression, um, teaching about plant parts, and then of course, like um, helping identify some of those like native plants and pollinators that we can find right here in DC. Oh, I love that. That sounds really fun. All right, Lauren, hang on, because I'll have you give all your important details at the end of the show. And now I'm bringing in Peter Schechter. You know him from Immigrant Food, but he does a lot of stuff. He like owns a winery in Israel, and he's originally from Italy, and he's involved with some goats in a farm and something like that. I don't know. He's got a lot going on. So, hey, Peter, how are you? How are you? Thanks for having all of us and for doing this publicity for this great new museum. Absolutely. Um, well, I think it's a little more than publicity. I yeah, think it's information. More, it's more sure. information about not only this great festival, but the museum that's coming. So, all right, Peter, give me a little bit of your background, because um, my husband uses the term Renaissance man for a lot of people. But when I read your bio, I was like, oh, this is what a Renaissance man is. I really get it. So um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Wow, well, you're too kind, and I'll never live up to that expectation now. Okay. Um, I should stop right now. Bar set, bar set, okay. <laughs> um, I was born in Italy, and I grew up in lots of other places in Latin America, and I came here to Washington in my last two years of high school and went to college uh, uh, in the area in Baltimore and then went to graduate school. Uh, for a long time, I became a political consultant. And in 1993, a friend of mine that I went to graduate school with decided that he had enough of being, he is really a Renaissance man. I'll tell you about him in a second. 
Okay. Uh, he had enough of being a human rights lawyer and wanted to open a restaurant. And so his name is Roberto and Roberto decided to open up Cafe Atlantico here. And I became one of the early investors. For those of you who grew up in, in Washington or have been here a while, Mm -hmm. Sure, you remember Cafe Atlantico, and uh, then the original. Roberto, the original was in Adams Morgan before. Exactly, the original was in Adams Morgan. It was a a restaurant in which at eleven o'clock, all the waiters yeah, pushed the tables to the side, and you became a dance place. Yeah, I remember. Um, and um, Roberto is this is a he is the real Renaissance man. He is a human rights lawyer. Talking about Rob Wilder. Right, exactly. Roberto's an old friend and Roberto's partner. Uh -huh. um, but Roberto is a is a human rights lawyer, a diplomat, uh, a karate belt, black belt, third degree, a classical ballet dancer, a restaurateur, uh -huh. and now the foreign minister of the Dominican Republic. Right. Uh, <laughs> All um, right, you have some big shoes to fill. I see where you're going. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a that's a that's a that's a Renaissance man. Anyway. Um, Roberto decided to open with Rob Wilder. Decided to open up Haleo, mm -hmm. and they needed a uh, they needed a chef to be there day to day day to day. Mm -hmm. And they, they found a young man uh, in, in San Diego and Jose. And we were all investors in this. And so uh, that's I met Jose when he was twenty three, and he first came to uh, when he first came to Washington D.C. Uh, and I saw him again. I saw him last night. Um, and I've been an investor in restaurants all my life, and I've been a political consultant all my life. And these two, uh, these two careers, they went in parallel, but they never bridged. And in 2017, when our country seemed to go, be going through this massive change, um, I felt strongly that uh, I needed to honor my parents. I have a strange family. My parents were immigrants, and in a way, I was an immigrant too, because I only came here when I was 16. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but in particular, I wanted to honor my parents who came here as immigrants with nothing and nobody ever told them to go back to where they came from. Nobody ever told them that they don't belong here. And I decided to bridge these two careers of political and policy consultant and restaurant investor by opening a restaurant that would celebrate and advocate and educate about immigration and immigrants at the same time as serving great food. And that's uh, a little bit where I am. I, we also, with uh, with my wife Rosa, own a farm in Culpeper County, Virginia. Um, and uh, we grow uh, goats. We used to grow other things, but farming is a very tough thing, uh, as uh, as Lauren just explained. And um, uh, we, we we now do a lot of goats and, and grow food for ourselves. But... Um, uh, and then I, my cousin is a winemaker in Israel, and in, he came with an, a delegation of Israeli winemakers. And in one very wine-laden night at my house, in which he took us on a long tour of his wines, by one o'clock we opened the fourth and fifth bottle, and Rosa and I decided to invest in his winery. I mean, isn't that how that happens? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what they you know what they say you know how to become a millionaire is when you're a billionaire and buy buy a winery. Thank okay. God we only bought a teeny weeny part of a winery, um, uh, but it's it's a uh, it's fun. And then I moved I moved with my kids to Israel for a year, oh. so that uh, 
they could know something other than uh, than uh, Washington D.C., but also so that we could live through one entire wine cycle from wow. harvest from harvest to fermentation to bottling to to casking. So, Where is the winery? Is it in the Golan Heights? It's not. It's in the it's in the Judean Hills. So oh, it's in the wow. Judean Hills uh, between well between Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. As you as you go up to Jerusalem. Um, uh, you go south about 20 kilometers. Okay. Wow. That's amazing. And so with Immigrant Food, how many properties do you have? We have three restaurants mm-hmm. uh, in Washington and are um, going to open a couple of more before we take the brand to a new city. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so we're in the process of looking at uh, a fourth and fifth location now uh, for it. But our, we have a restaurant near the White House, which is where we opened up very purposefully in 2017 uh when uh, when uh, president trump uh took over uh we opened in 2019 and wanted to be very close to the white house we never thought we'd be the next door neighbor of the white house uh-huh. we had a great real estate agent who helped us find that um, and then we have uh, a place in union market and then inside um Planet Word Rest uh, Museum. We have uh, our third restaurant. That's why I was. I'm so pleased to collaborate with another museum. We have now. I feel like we have museum experience, and 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 this is one thing that in Washington the museum had it, but it it, but it went away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, lots of cities now are trying to combine great culinary experiences in and with museums, so that. People can be attracted to museums to spend not only not only to go and see this painting or see this sculpture or see this artwork, mm-hmm. but also to spend a, a day or a half day also having a brunch and then going to the museum, et cetera. Well, I mean, I think that's something you find all over Europe and, and you know, probably like 18 years ago, 20 years ago, the trend really started in museums uh, in New York and California and in Chicago. And now you're seeing more of it. I mean, you know, you're right. The... Um, you know, with the, the partnership with uh, Wolfgang Puck at the museum and the source and everything, like there was a real commitment. And I think we're seeing more of it happening. So it is, um, it's how it should be. I mean, you sh- anybody should be able to eat in a museum, but also there should be an ability to have an, an elevated experience at a museum as well. Right. So let's talk about your involvement in the festival and what we can see from you there. Well, Lisa very kindly invited us to to uh, to participate in the festival, and this is something that we think you know Jews came as 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 immigrants. Um, so the Jewish experience is a is a personifies the immigrant experiences that Latinos are having today or Chinese Americans are having today. I mean, just mm-hmm. the, the Jewish experience happened in a different time, but it was not unlike. Uh, the the experiences that people are going through today. So uh, we will have a small booth there and we will bring uh, our chef is deciding what uh, of her treats she wants to bring. As a chef, I don't need to tell you, there's lots to think about. How do I heat it? How do I keep it? How do I refrigerate it? How do I I keep it good? And then how do I reheat it? So there's, there's, um, when we when we told her we had made this this commitment, you know, she started pulling her hair out because she has to think of these she has to think of these things, which we don't have to think about. Which, and which she is why tried, you made and you she chides us about it all the time. Right. <laughs> no, I know. I mean, listen, um, having uh, been a part of 
festivals throughout my entire career, whether curating demonstrations or, you know, emceeing them or judging them or whatever it is. I mean, I, I have a great appreciation for the restaurants that do participate because it is a massive undertaking. And I don't have to tell you, Peter, about staff shortages and things that are happening in the hospitality industry right now, but I certainly appreciate what it takes today for a restaurant to participate uh, in a festival of this size. So I'm going to head back to Lisa and we're just going to do a, a, just a who, what, where, why, when on this event. But before I do, Peter, can you please tell everybody where they can find uh, immigrant food or information about it, whether via Instagram or online, best practices? Thank you. Well, we're, we're online at uh, www.immigrantfood.com. Mm -hmm. uh, we're at Immigrant Food DC on Instagram. We have three locations. One is on Pennsylvania Avenue, right next to the White House. One is in Planet Word Museum, which is on 13th and K, and one is in Union Market. Excellent. Okay, great. And Thank Lauren, you. can you please tell everybody where we can find out more about the program and how we can get involved and can we volunteer and where we can find you guys? Yes, of course. So the best way to stay tuned is to follow us on social media. Um, we have an Instagram at City Blossoms. Um, and on Facebook, we're just City Blossoms. Uh -huh. um, and if you want to stay tuned on our volunteer opportunities, we usually have one every Saturday. Um, that is at cityblossoms.org slash calendar. Um, so yeah, that's how you can get involved and, and learn more. Excellent. Great. And Susan, where can we find you? I just go by my name. So I'm on Instagram at Susan Barocas and on Facebook. The only thing I do ask is if somebody wants to friend me on Facebook, just message me first. Mm -hmm. um, just because my Facebook keeps getting lots of things, you know, craziness. I mean, I have to be honest. I always tell people to follow me on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter, but I'm really, I'm off Facebook completely. Yeah. Well, you know, I, it's still good it's for me. necessary evil I hear you and I can I you. just say Savor you can um by the way my name is S-U-S-A-N and then Barocas is B-A-R-O-C-A-S excellent um and the Savor project is on Sarah R-O-S-T-E A-R-O-E-S-T-Y dot com mm -hmm. backslash Savor if you want to know more about uh Sephardic food and music Excellent. And I hope you'll send me info about that for the website, the list, are you on it.com. And also we can talk further at another time. Uh, and Lisa, let me bring you back in, please. Let's give everybody the who, what, where, why, when on this festival, please. So it is Sunday, October 9th. It is from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Um, we will have several big uh, stage, main stage elements. We're going to have Michael Twitty, Nikki with you in conversation. Um, you both go on at 1.30. Uh, Joe Nathan is going to kick us off with some welcome remarks. Susan and Vared will be there with our cooking demonstrations. We have 20 restaurants who will be um, who will have samples and food items for purchase. And we have eight community partners um, that'll be exploring our social justice issues and focusing on food insecurity and sustainability. Um, and the why is really, we wanna explore food as an expression of intersecting identities, cross-culturalism, memory, a way to tell stories. Um, and we're careful, we wanna say exploration and not just limit ourselves to celebration. You know, I think as we've heard from 
all all four of us, you know, food is a wonderful thing and it brings people together and and it, there's much to celebrate, but it also helps us tell our stories and it shows us who we are and express ourselves. And, and it's not always a positive experience for everyone. And so we really want to dig into all of those themes and, um, and give people something to enjoy and also some things to think about, which is really at the heart of the museum as well. Which I really love. And I, I, food is a connector. It does bring people together. Um, and I think it's really important that people understand that just because this is a food festival, a Jewish food festival, it doesn't mean it's nobody's checking your card at the door. Like this is for everybody and it's a real way to engage and enjoy uh, something new and completely different. Uh, tell everybody where they can find you online, please, and on Instagram. Yes. So um, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, we are at Cap Jewish Museum. Um, and then online, we are capitaljewishmuseum.org. Um, and if you're looking for the food festival specifically, it's capitaljewishmuseum.org forward slash CJFF2022. Uh, Great. Well, I want to thank you all so much for joining me today. Um, the festival is going to be amazing, and I cannot wait to be there and be a part of it. Well, that was a really cool panel, and I'm so grateful for their time today to talk about it. You know, something I didn't bring up with everybody on, and maybe I should have, is that there is a lot of anti-Semitism going on out there. It's not something I, I talk about normally on this show. Um, in fact, somebody sent me uh, these flyers yesterday being dispersed all around the country that are really um, accusing Jews of very nefarious behavior. And um, that's why I think this festival is so important. And I think this museum is so important um, as uh, contributors to society. It is really um, important that everybody makes room at the table for everyone. So um, I want to thank all of you for joining me today on Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. I uh, did not mean to end on a somber note, but I, I am very excited about this festival. I'm so honored and flattered to be asked to interview Michael Twitty, who I adore. And I just think all these fabulous restaurants are going to be there and it's just going to be a great day. So I do hope you will join all of us. Uh, and I hope you pay attention to what's going on because the festival is not the only thing happening in the DC metro area. Go to the list com for every food, wine, and hospitality event happening in the DC metro area. Of course, all the promos, new restaurants, all that kind of fun stuff is all in there. Follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You know, not really Facebook, really Instagram and Twitter uh, for all the cool happenings. Check out Foodie and the Beast Sundays on 1500 at 11 a.m. And I think that's it. So be safe out there. Take in everything that October has to offer because there's so much. And have a delicious week. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Real Fun DC.